If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. So, the title I've given for today is Indwelling Sin and Our Daily War. Indwelling Sin and Our our Daily War. Because we are a struggling people. Look at me at Romans chapter 7 beginning in verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. If we know that the law is spiritual but I am of the flesh sold under sin for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. God's word is so good. Please be seated. So as a reminder, Paul is, has written this letter to those in Rome, to, to a people that he has never had the privilege of grasping their hands and saying hello. And His letter is primarily concerned about setting forth the righteousness of God in the gospel. Paul's discussed that individuals are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And now when we get to Romans chapter 7, he is discussing sanctification. That when one is legally declared righteous by God, that person is never left alone by God. Now, if you're a child of God, this is where you say, Amen. God doesn't just save you. He saves you and He walks with you. He works in you. He does His perfect will in and through you for His name and for His glory. The person who is justified is never left alone by God. The Holy Spirit has come and filled the person. They have been born again. God is at work in those who believe. So if you believe this morning, God's at work in you. God is actively purifying you. God is setting you more apart from this world, more apart from sin, and more obedient to His revealed will. To put it simple, justification is God declaring you righteous, while sanctification is a process of the Spirit of God making you more and more righteous, more conformed into the image of God. John MacArthur put it this way, the progressive disconnect in the life of the believer from sin toward righteousness. 
So it's the picture that God is behind you and God is pushing you. And in the rearview mirror is sins that you used to cherish and where he's pushing you toward is more of himself. It's more righteousness. We have died to sin. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. We get that next week. But, but we are not sinless. We will not live a perfect life in the here and the now. It will not happen. But as God's children, we don't use that as an excuse to sin. By no means. We do not do that. We are to image the Lord. We are to reflect Him for His glory in this life. So I want to do a quick review of Paul's most recent questions and answers because he gets to another one today. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Paul said, Are we to continue to sin by that grace may abound? By no means. In other words, God forbid, may it never be that way. May we not live that way. So are we to sin so that grace may abound? And then he answers by saying, How can we who die to sin still live in it? Romans 6, verse 15. Are we to sin... Because we're not under law, but under grace. By no means, you are slaves of righteousness. In Romans 7, verse 7, What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means, yet if it not been for the law, would have not known sin. So Paul is informing those in Rome what they are to believe. Therefore, we are also being instructed by the Lord today what we as God's children are to believe. God's children have been released from the law. You belong to the Lord. Every time I hear those words, you belong to the Lord, I think of a father and a mother and a little child crawling before them. That there, there is something even in that little child that the child knows who belongs to. As you get older, sometimes the kids get older and they don't do little things like that anymore. That's why they usually call a dog a man's best friend. And, and, and the, do- the dog will come before and just like curl up in a little ball in their lap. And that's kind of the picture I see here. Believer, if you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus, if your faith, hope, and trust is in Christ and Christ alone, you belong to the Lord. You're not lost. The one who died, the one who is risen, the one who is ascended into heaven, the one who reigns and rules with all power and all authority, the one who is working all things out, you belong to him. The one who is unraveling his will even now for his good purposes, and the one who will return and gather you. You belong to him. You belong to the one whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. You belong to the one whom all creation, including his past, present, and future enemies, will all come before him, will all bow down, will all confess to the greatness and holiness of God. God's children, you belong to the Lord. And God's children bear fruit for the Lord. You bear fruit for the Lord. The faith that God gives you is never alone. That faith will always produce fruit for the Lord. 
God's children live a sanctified life because your Father is sanctifying you. If you belong to God, He has justified you. He is sanctifying you. You will bear fruit, but you will struggle with sin. Indwelling sin is real. We are in a spiritual battle in which we are to act and image God. Now, this morning, it is very easy, as I'm talking about indwelling sin, for all of us as fallen creatures to immediately think about those who are closest to us, whether it's a wife or a husband or children or friends or co-workers. And it's very easy for us to immediately say, man, I really wish they would hear this. Please repent now. I am asking you that you look at your own life and you hear this. We all struggle, and dwelling sin is real. Romans 7, verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So question four that he asks is, did that which is good then bring death to me? And he says it again, God forbid, By no means. May it never be. The law of God did not and does not bring death. Sin brings death. Sin brought separation from God. Sin is the cause of spiritual death. The law of God is good, as he has already said. It is holy, for it shows sin to be sin. In fact, God's good law shows us that sin is sinful beyond measure. Sin is sinful beyond measure. The law of God shows us God's character in our failure of displaying the character of God. The character of God is so much on display in God's law that the conclusion for all of humanity is we are sinful beyond measure. The law of God that we understand, the law of God that is written on our hearts, the conclusion is we are sinful beyond measure. God's law did not bring death. Sin brought death. God's law is good. Romans 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So the law of God, it is spiritual. It reflects God's character. It reflects who God is. God's law is spiritual. Therefore, it is not the problem. What God has given as spiritual cannot be the problem. The law is spiritual. It is untouched by man, cannot be changed by man, cannot be corrupted by man. It is spiritual. It is good. Now Paul's words here, sold under sin, it refers to all of humanity after the fall, and it describes our battle as Christians with indwelling sin. The law is spiritual while Paul is of the flesh. This is what he says. I am of the flesh. Paul does not declare that he is in the flesh. Paul is saying, I am of the flesh. Paul is saying, I am morally corrupt. The law is spiritual while Paul is of the flesh. Paul is morally corrupt. If you don't believe me, you can look back at Romans 7 verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh... Our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in the members to bear fruit for death. Some take these verses in Romans 7 as their go-to verses. 
for defending the carnal Christian or what some call the second work of grace. And if you don't think this is important, let me tell you, it really is. We're in the Bible Belt. There are thousands upon thousands of people who would utterly disagree with what I'm saying. They're saying that a second work of grace declares that there is a first blessing followed by a second blessing, and some Christians have not received the second blessing or second work of grace, and this is to be rejected based not upon what I say. This is to be rejected based upon Scripture alone, which is our sole authority. In Romans 7, 13-25, Paul is not writing about his life before salvation. These verses are not describing Paul's pre-conversion, but Paul's post-conversion. Romans 7, verse 5, was past tense for Paul. When he was in the flesh, he bore fruit for death. Romans 7, verses 13-25, through 25, describe the battle of Christians. The spirit and indwelling sin. I want to give you a list of six reasons that defend exactly what I'm saying, even though the Greek language and the context is extremely clear. Reason one, Paul moves from past tense to present tense. When you read Romans 7, 13 through 25, you see I, 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 I. He speaks of what sin did in the past as well as his current or present tense actions and desires. Paul talks about presently hating what he is doing. Paul here is sensitive to sin. Christians are the only ones who are sensitive to sin. You're the only one. This is a mark of sanctification. And the more and more you walk with the Lord, the more and more that you follow the Lord and His good commands, you become more sensitive to sin. As Owen phrased it, you hate sin. You hate it. It's a mark of sanctification. Reason two, Paul describes a saved man who struggles. He describes a mature man who is under conviction. He describes conflict. Only saved men and women are in spiritual conflict. A person who is lost is not in conflict with the spiritual. Why? Because they're dead. They're spiritually dead. Lost men and lost women do not seek God. There is no conflict. The lost are dead in sin, waiting upon the drawing of God. Romans 3, verse 11. That's reason one, reason two, reason three. Paul puts responsibility upon the Christian to rise up and battle the flesh. Paul puts responsibility upon the Christian to rise up and battle flesh. The mind or the spiritual is opposed to the flesh, according to these verses. Paul is calling for daily war against indwelling sin. This is what I love in reason three. Paul is frustrated. You read these words, you see a frustrated man. He is frustrated with sin, and Paul realizes in his mind, in his life, Paul understands that he has not arrived. And this is what I want you to see as Christians, and maybe this is what we need to hear today. Maybe you need to be woken up to the fact that if you are here, you have not arrived spiritually. Therefore, there better be a pursuit in your life. Christ better be your pursuit. Reason four, Paul declared that nothing good dwelled in him. 
Only a saved soul understands that nothing good dwells in him. Unbelieving souls testify that they are good and good enough to get into heaven. Saved souls know in their heart that no one is good but God alone. Paul comprehends his total depravity. That's reason four. Reason five. Romans 7, verse 22. Star it, underline it, highlight it. Romans 7, 22 is a massive blow to those who believe in a second blessing. Paul delights in the law of God. You can erase all the other reasons and you can just focus on this one right here. Paul delights in the law of God. Only Christians are capable of delighting in the law of God. The lost cannot delight in God's law or love Him at all. Listen to Psalm. Just go to Psalm 119 alone. Psalm 119, 111. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Psalm 119.35. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Psalm 119.81. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. Psalm 119.92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. And if those five reasons aren't enough, reason six, Paul already told God's children in Rome to consider themselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And immediately after he tells them, he says these words, let not, do not, and present yourselves. Romans 6, 12-14, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for unrighteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So we are of the flesh while the law of God is spiritual. Therefore, as born again Christians, once dead in our sin, We are now alive, and we are at war. We are responsible to act. This is what you understand. When you are in a war, you have a responsibility to act. You don't sit on your hands with a loaded gun and look out at your enemy and say, I'm good to go. You have a responsibility to act when you're in a spiritual war. To do what is right. You have a responsibility to image God in this life. Paul continues, Romans 7, verses 15 through 20. For I do not understand my own actions. Now, if you're a Christian and you can't think of anything this past week about your own actions, whew. you might be way too consumed with the things of this world. I mean, just think about that for a second. Paul, who's saying this? Who is Paul? The apostle? God's chosen instrument to carry the gospel to the Gentiles? The man who was saved on the Damascus Road? The man that spent his life travel by travel by travel, persecution after persecution after persecution, and Paul is saying, I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. 
For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You see Paul's dependence upon? Is Paul dependent upon himself? Is Paul dependent upon, I'm going to put on these boots and tie up my boot straps and snap them tight? It's going to be me, me, me. No. He's saying, I'm not dependent upon my own strength. I'm not dependent upon my own power. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So the Apostle Paul said, I do not understand my own actions. Paul the Apostle is saying this. As a Christian, you should be encouraged. You know why? Because you think about the Apostle Paul, you think about his life, you think about everything before his salvation, you think about everything after his salvation. We should be encouraged as God people that Paul is saying, I do not understand my own actions because there are times in our life, there are seasons in our life, there are hard days in our lives when we walk away and we put our head on the pillow of God's sovereignty and providence at the end of the day and say, I have no idea. I cannot explain my own actions. How can I say that I am a Christian and I live and I do this? The Apostle Paul struggled. He failed. Paul did evil as God's chosen instrument who was carrying the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul's fight on this earth, Paul's war on this earth, it's the exact same as ours. And we will fail just like Paul. Because Christ alone justifies, Christ alone sanctifies. But like Paul, we struggle with sin, but sin is no longer our master, Christ is. So if you're a Christian this morning and you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with self-seeking, self-loving, prideful, if you struggle with being arrogant to the one who loves things more than he loves the Lord, the one who plans out their day for their hobby and not plans out their day for the Lord, one who doesn't love God enough, who doesn't delight in God enough, to one who gossips, who actually enjoys the failure of others, to the one who fails to faithfully serve, the one who fails to faithfully give, to the one who doesn't abide, to the one who doesn't pray enough, to the one who doesn't confess or study or meditate, you are in good company. Open your eyes, look around, we are all in the same boat. Christ saves sinners. He does not call people to himself who deserve salvation. And we're not always going to act like we are saved. Just like Paul, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Christ saves sinners. As if salvation was not enough, Christ also sanctifies those whom he justifies. He takes what he has set apart for himself and he continues to conform them more and more into his image. 
At the end of each day, there are actions that we did that we do not understand why we did those things. We do things that we hate each and every day. We say things that we shouldn't have said. We think things that are wretched. There are good holy commands in which we have ignored. We have become too passive as Christians, too concerned about what other people will think in response. We have missed opportunities. We have missed regrets. But our hope, our foundation is not in what we do. Our foundation, our hope is Christ in Christ alone who he is, and what he has done. After all, Christ gave us the faith to believe we didn't do it ourselves. And the faith that he gave us to believe, that faith grabs hold of the righteousness of Christ, and that faith will never let go of Christ. Christ has done it all, and none of it was based upon us. None of it was based upon our works. Christians are like the Apostle Paul. They know that they are not good enough and that they are undeserved saints by God's grace alone who still struggle with sin. Now, look at Romans 7, verse 15. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, verses 16 through 20 explain that verse. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So Paul agrees with the law of God because he does what he does not want. We need to do this ourselves. We need to agree in ourselves, in our mind, in the seat, that we agree with the law of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You need to agree with that. Because if you hold to the second blessing, you actually believe that you can go weeks, months, maybe even seasons without a single sin. No, you can't. There is never a single second, a millisecond, in which you have loved the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Never. We were doing baptism class this morning, and Blake said something about sin. It's like, you know, we can't go a whole day without sinning. And my son piped up, who he is very, very literal on everything. Blake, what if we sleep all day? What if I just I sleep all day? Are you, are you saying that I don't sin? And then Blake responded in the wise moment and said, that would be a great question for your dad when you get home. (laughs) Paul in these verses is agreeing with the law of God because he does what he does not want to do. Paul is declaring, I know that the law is good, but I don't understand my own actions because I fail." That when Paul sins, it is his indwelling sin. That is his flesh. Because Paul is saved, he has a desire to do what is right, but he does not have the ability to carry it out. Even in the fact of sanctification, Paul says, I can't do it. I am also dependent upon Christ for my sanctification. Because the flesh is at war with the Spirit of God in us. Paul wants to do good because he is saved. 
But many times he does evil, the very thing that he does not want to do. So look at verse 20. This is not Paul giving an excuse or shifting a blame. Verse 20 says, now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. The picture here is not a child coming before a parent and the, the parent asking, hey, why did you do this? And then the child says, you know what? My sister made me do it. This is not what Paul is doing here. Is Paul not owning his mistake? No. Paul is not giving an excuse. Paul is not shifting the blame. Paul is a new creation. He is in Christ. The Spirit of God is in Paul. And so at the writing of this letter, Paul stood justified, and he was in the process of sanctification. God was in Paul, but so was indwelling sin. God is in you if you're saved, but you also have indwelling sin in you. Listen to the words found in Galatians 6, verses 16 through 26, if you want to turn there. Paul is speaking to the church of Galatia. In chapter 1, he talks about basically, I am astonished that you have so quickly deserted the one true gospel and you have started to embrace another gospel. Not that there is another one, but you have deserted it. In Galatians 6, he gets to this point. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. That is a major statement. The works of the flesh are obvious. The works of the of the flesh are known. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. So the works of the flesh, they're all around us. We can't escape it. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now that's interesting. Why would you classify everything as saying, if you live by the flesh, the works of the... These are, these are evident. But if you love the Lord, this is also evident. But if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Because we can also at times not walk by the Spirit. It says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul was not deflecting blame here. He was speaking the truth. He was saying Christians have been born again, but they also possess competing desires. The flesh is at war with the spirit. As Christians, we have a new nature. We have one nature, and that nature is found in Christ. But in this life, we have indwelling sin we are not perfect. That's what I love. MacArthur and Sproul both point out the same picture here. That when a believer dies, they shed off their body. They're ready for heaven. There's nothing more to do. The body has been shed. The fight is over. The race, the race has been won. 
Paul was not ignoring his sin. Paul was not making peace with his sin or blaming something or someone else. And we should not do that either. All of us, myself included, need to be more faithfully taking ownership for our sin. And what I mean by that is calling sin, sin, coming before the Lord and having times of repentance. We need to seek forgiveness from the Lord. We need to seek repentance. We need to go to others and ask for forgiveness and seek reconciliation and those we have also harmed. I love that Paul keeps going. I don't think he really needed to in Romans 7, but he says this in verse 21. So I find it to be a law. This is what I love. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I'm a father of three. I've been a husband for almost... 17 years in December. And there's one thing I can with full honesty tell you. That in my mind, I absolutely know that I find it a law. I agree with Paul 100% that I, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. When I have planned family worship, when I have planned times of prayer, when I have planned to do these things, planned to have these conversations, evil lies close at hand, and at times I utterly fall. Paul found this to be true in his life. He found it to be a rule that when he wanted to do what is right, evil was close, evil was present. In Paul's inner being, he delighted in the law of God. Why did Paul say that? Because he was saved. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks on the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. All that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind dries away. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That is not saying that the blessed man is going to live a perfect life. What this is saying is the blessed man will produce fruit. The blessed man will have his mind fixed upon the things of God. The blessed man will cherish God and the grace that has been given to him. The blessed man will want to live for the glory of God because to live for anything else is a complete, utter waste of time. Psalm 119, verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Not even Paul could say that all the time. There are times in our life in which we delight in riches more than we delight in the Lord. But Paul's members, Paul's flesh, it was waging war against his mind. His flesh was making him captive to the law of sin that dwelled in his members. Saint, we must take heed to these words. We must not let them go in one ear and out the other. Evil lies close at hand. It is not enough to have good intentions of saying, I'm going to do things. It's not enough to memorize something and to say, I had that memorized. You do not want to look back upon your life and say, I wish I would have just obeyed. You need to know that you're going to fail, but I'm encouraging you to get back up and to keep going looking to Jesus. Paul understood that evil never, ever takes a break. 
sin. It never has a sabbatical. It is always around him, and it's dwelling in him. Now, the Bible often presents the Christian sanctified life as a race. Now, I love this. I love to race. I love to run. And I know that some of you in this room, you think the only time that I'm running that you're going to run is when someone's chasing you. I get it. But I love the picture that it paints here. 1 Corinthians 9, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we're not talking about what is perishable, are we? Like we're talking about what is imperishable. So he says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul himself is even talking about, as I am passing on the gospel, as I am going from town to town, from place to place, ship to ship, all these things, all the persecutions, I even myself have to discipline my body and keep it under control. In this life, we are to spiritually run, exercising self-control in all things. Christians are to be men and women of discipline. That's not legalism. That's fact. That's truth. That's historical. Humility and consistency are two marks of a mature man or woman. If the majority of individuals who went to church would have biblical exercise, self-control, discipline, as they did in the things of this world, the church would look dramatically different. Some of you even have the consistency of washing your car every week because you have a membership. You go every week because you've paid for a membership. Or a gym. You have a gym membership. You said, you know what? I have paid for this. What if Christians stood up and said, you know what? Christ has paid for me, therefore I'm not going to waste a day. Humility and consistency are two marks of a mature man or woman. Hebrews 12 says, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance a race that is set before us. When you run, you don't want things to get in the way. You can have a long conversation with Isaac about that after service. You don't want to wear baggy PJs to go running in. You just don't want to do it. You don't want to have a huge shirt that's an extra large that you can't just like move around in. You want to run to where things are, things are not getting in your way as you're running. You want to have freedom to move around. Same is true with sin. Lay aside every weight and sin which sings close closely. James says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast in her trial. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So sin that easily entangles and clings so closely is to be ripped off and laid aside. So here's a question. Are you doing that? 
Because this sanctified life is about looking at the one who justified us, King Jesus. I don't know how we can look at the justified King Jesus and not lay aside sin. He says, we are to consider him in our struggle against sin, knowing that he tempts no one and the crown of life is coming. John Owen said this, sin is not subdued when it is oppressed. Sin is not subdued when it is treated with indifference. Sin is not subdued when it is exchanged for what is perceived as a lesser sin. Sin is only subdued when the conscience is silent and stops accusing. So we are really only putting sin to death by the power of the Holy Spirit when our conscience is silent concerning that matter. Romans 7, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love, so, so Paul talks about this battle and he flows and he wraps up chapter 7 before he gets to chapter 8. I'm excited about chapter 8, but I love the conclusion of chapter 7. He says, wretched man that I am. What is my answer? It's Christ. My answer is Christ. Paul declared that he was a wretched man. He was an afflicted man. He was a miserable man. If you're a believer and you're not afflicted and you're not miserable, you need to doubt that you are saved because you understand more and more sin by the Holy Spirit. Some of you made peace with so many sins for far too long that your heart has become cold and callous to the things of God. The indwelling sin, his flesh, was at war with the Spirit of God in him. With his flesh, he served the law of sin, but with his mind or spirit, he served the law of God. So Paul's solution for this fight, Paul's solution for this war is Christ. Paul looked to Christ and he dealt with sin in his heart by the Spirit of God. So in your struggle, you remember the suffering servant. In your struggle, you remember the death of Christ. In your struggle, you remember the resurrection and the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. The fact that Christ has justified you, all of Jesus. The fact that Christ is sanctifying you, it is all of Jesus. And the fact that we are eagerly awaiting the day for when Christ will glorify us. There is a day coming in which that war that Paul is speaking about will be over. Paul's war is over. You and I, our war is still here. So Paul looked to Christ, but he dealt with sin in his heart by the Spirit of God. You and I, we struggle with sin, but sin is not our master. We've been justified. We're being sanctified. The words of R.C. Sproul bring comfort. We are already liberated from the power of sin, but we are not yet free from the presence of sin. Our king is Christ. Sin is not our king. Philippians 3, but our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let this flow into your mind today as you live. Where is your citizenship? Where's your home? It's in heaven. It's where you belong. Right now, if you've repented of your sins, put your faith, hope in Christ and Christ alone, this is not your home. Your home is heaven. 
So here's my challenge. If home is your heaven, don't waste your time with sin. Deal with it. If home is your heaven, live for the things of the Lord. Don't wait till you get there. Seek Him now. Seek Him today. Now, when I say that, there are things in my life that I am struggling with. I am just like you. There are things in your life that you are struggling with. I am asking you not to make peace with those sins. You know what they are. You have affections that are, at times, much, much greater for the things of this world than they are for the Lord. Your time says a lot about what you treasure. Paul's solution is Christ. So in our daily war against our indwelling sin, what the Lord has started, He will finish. He will bring you safely home. If you are justified by God, He has already made you fit for heaven with Him. Our struggle against sin, it's going to be over soon. And the Lord will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Sin will end and no longer be seated in the flesh. So remain steadfast in these last days, saying, I know it's harder and harder because we see more and more and more individuals around us who are living for and cherishing the things of this world. We see that the things that they are getting, we see that it seems like they are winning. They're not. Christ is fulfilling His purpose, His divine will. He has given them over to their sin. We are to remain steadfast in these last days. We are to go to Christ in confession and repentance. Just don't confess your sins before the Lord. Actually have a plan of turning from them. Put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit of God and live. Remain mindful of all that Christ has done and will do. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on the promises of God. And know this, you're not alone in your struggle. If there's one thing I wish this young church would understand, is that you sin and I sin and our sins are the same. We all stumble in many, many ways and there's no one who's exempt. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. In fact, in all of history, all of history has struggled. All those in this room are now presently struggling. Therefore, because of this truth, encourage one another today. Abide in the Word of God, feed your soul, and live for the glory of God. Reflect the character of God for His glory and praise Him. God has justified you. God is sanctifying you. But praise Him, for in Christ we find victory over sin and victory over death. What is there that Christ has not accomplished? He has accomplished it all. Every single promise He has made is yes and amen. Father, we are so thankful for Your Holy Word. As already been said this morning, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that's come out of your mouth. Father, help us by the Spirit 
to put to death the fact that we are living so much on the things of this world and not enough on your bread in which you have provided for us. Your word is good. May we delight in it. May we cherish it, Father. May, may it be what we, our mind is going to in thinking about it. May we hide it in our hearts so that we may not sin against you. Father, we say that we love you, but so much of our life is just really loving ourselves. God, forgive us. Help us to know what it's like to be fully dependent upon you, fully trusting you, Father, that we rise up and we go to war with the things of the flesh, knowing that there is indwelling sin, that this war, this battle is real, and you have called us to be active and to get to work for your name and for your glory. Father, we have been passive, and we know there's forgiveness in Christ. Father, we know that when we want to do good, evil lies close at hand. And we thank you for our Savior. We thank you for what Christ has accomplished. We thank you that every promise is yes and amen, Lord. But give us the strength, give us the wisdom, give us the pursuit to make you truly our life. Help us to stop playing games with ourselves. To stop thinking that we have arrived. We haven't arrived. You haven't come back. We have not arrived. There are people from every tribe, tongue, and language and people in which you're going to save. You are still redeeming souls. We have not arrived. Help us to pursue you with all that we are, to run a race, to win the prize, to run in such a way in which we know we're giving all of our heart and mind and strength and soul for you. Father, thank you for Christ for forgiveness that is daily found in him. Father, we need you. We are a struggling people. We need you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.